Welcome to another episode. I am V and this is the Sussex Set. Hello to the people of Windsor. Yes, yes. Y'all, I hear tourism is up in your sweet little town. I had the pleasure of uh, having tea at the Cricket House of Windsor a couple years ago uh, before they turned it into a jewelry shop. But uh, anyway, I hear the property searches have increased by 35% in Windsor. That's interesting. Um, yeah, you know, we hear that the landscape is changing and, uh, anyway, it's a wonderful place. Highly recommend people going to London. If you go to London, just hop on the train girl and go to Windsor. It's lovely. It's really, really lovely. This episode, the charity I want to highlight is baby to baby. It's actually the first charity that is based out of the United States that I'm highlighting, but it's based out of Los Angeles, California. And, Baby to Baby provides children living in poverty between the ages of zero and 12 with diapers, clothing, and all the basic necessities that every child deserves. Now, they've only been around for about seven years, but in the past seven years, Baby to Baby has distributed over 50 million items to children in homeless shelters, domestic violence programs, foster care, hospitals, and underserved schools, as well as children across the country who have lost everything in the wake of disasters. What's considered low income for America? Well, for a family of four, anything below $24,800 is considered low income. So that's who the service targets directly and with good reason, because more and more families are strained. And sometimes every little bit helps. It goes a long way, especially with small and growing children. The strain of buying everything new, especially when you're talking about growing kids, can really stretch a parent's budget. Um, And that kind of pushes them beyond the limit sometimes. You know, it's literally month to month sometimes. So baby to baby certainly helps alleviate that. One in three families struggle to provide diapers for their children which is why I love Megan and Harry for naming this charity that they wanted people to donate to on behalf of Archie. Um, Because while they will never have to struggle and all of Archie's needs will be met, they know that there are people who do struggle. And with something as basic as making sure that they have a constant supply of diapers. So Harry and Megan have used their platform and their privilege for good. And Baby to Baby has distributed over 27 million diapers to families over the last seven years. That is incredible. Now, just to give you a little bit of background on Baby to Baby, in 2012, they were able to help 50,000 children in the greater Los Angeles area. But by 2018, they were serving over 180,000 children. Now, Isn't that an unbelievable impact? And in 2017, they launched a disaster relief program and have distributed over 6.4 million basic essentials to children affected by natural disasters and emergency situations. Baby to Baby has, over the past seven years, had close to 43,000 volunteers. Now, if you are in the Los Angeles area, please visit their national network page for a list of organizations that they work with around the United States. They work with national network members in 28 cities 
across America. So don't think you need to be in L.A. to help. Okay, you just need to be of a giving heart. So go to babytobaby.org. That's baby, the number two, baby.org to see how you can get involved, volunteer, donate, or otherwise be active in helping some of the children of the Los Angeles area get the essentials that they need. Again, go to baby2baby.org and see how you can help. Now, I need for people to stop using Megan and Harry's life and the events of their life as a way to either bully them or make themselves more popular. That's first and foremost. And here's a question, and I don't mean anything shady by it at all, but like, does William think that he can like push Harry around like at this point in their lives? And again, I know I'm sorry for how I framed that, but like, they're both adults, but William is still like, quote unquote, the big brother. And I don't know if you have siblings, but I do. And I have older siblings. And you know how there's a certain relationship dynamic between older and younger siblings? Like no matter how grown you all are, (laughs) the dynamic is still there because it's almost like it's been that way from childhood because it has been. Now add in the layer that one of you was born to be king and the other of you is what they call the spare. And that pecking order within your family colors how everyone else relates to you too. And so one of you is the future king and the other one of you is not. And so I don't know, there may be a feeling that the second child is inconsequential. And Harry has actually spoken about that, like, you know, over the years, um, particularly as he reflects back on his teenage years, um, about like feeling that way, particularly after his mom died. And, you know, you got to think that Diana was the figure in his life that insulated him from all of those feelings of insignificance. Now, I'm not saying that he is insignificant because we know that he's not. He's probably like the most significant person in the family now whether people want to believe that or not girl but um but like fast forward to now where yes they are both still grown right but one is still big brother and future king and the other one is still little brother to that future king now I don't think either one of them actually want to be king you know as a little boy Harry would tell William I'm not going to be king, so I can do whatever I want. You can't. (laughs) And that's kind of savage, really, if you think about it. Um, But later he did have feelings of, um, he had feelings about the fact that everybody seemed so concerned with Will and what he was doing when they were teenagers. And he kind of sort of felt like they kind of left him to the wolves a a little bit. And that that is kind of what happened. But anyway, that said... There's still a sense of entitlement that comes with being the future king and then add to the mix that, let's be honest, William doesn't really have the most humble personality, you know, like the boy just doesn't. And he's been told all of his life that his shit doesn't stink and he's the most interesting boy in the room and all of his jokes are funny. Like they're just hilarious. And 
when truly, if you strip away the title of prince, if you strip away the idea of future king, that William is decidedly average. And that's not shade. I'm just looking at it for as an American, like I'm not even British. You know, and I'm not saying British people don't see him as average too, but I don't have the ideas of royalty in my head, you know. So he's just a regular white dude to me. No shade to white dudes. Yet, I feel like at 34 years old and 36 years old, as brothers, you know, these grown men, William still finds ways to use the status of big brother and future king to kind of push Harry and now Harry's family around. And that that's kind of what irks most people um, who have noticed it anyway. But um, I'm not saying in any malicious way or that it's deliberately malicious on his part, but I think now he and he and his wife, right? They find ways to use the events of Megan and Harry's life as opportunities to raise their popularity. And that's kind of what I'm getting at their popularity with the public now. Um, And this is only relevant because I have, have not seen this happen before, particularly not with the two of them, because up to this point, they have all been a unit, right? But now the media and the tabloids are a player, which leads me to this. Using the tabloids and media for your personal PR, using your brother's family and his life events as opportunities for positive PR, that really stinks. Like, for real. That's stank. But anyway, Will and Kate wanted us to know that they met their nephew, Archie. (laughs) And that leads me to ask if the brother's relationship is at all close at this point. I don't want to necessarily feed any rumors of a rift or whether it's true or not, because I really never truly bought into it. But I then kind of started to question some of Will's choices with the lack of protection for, for Harry and his family. So then, yeah, the question is there. But... How close are they currently? Like, if you're using your brother in that way, are you that close? You know, yeah, they're always going to love each other. And truly, their relationship is none of my business. But the fact that a simple visit needed to be publicized, like, look over here, everyone. We're going, you know, we're going to Windsor. We're going to see the new baby. Yeah, that's strange. That's pretty strange. And like, I always remind myself, Sometimes you got to listen to what's not being said. Those are the things that are being said. But what's really underneath all of that? We make assumptions. Sometimes they they show themselves to be true. And then sometimes we were wrong to assume. But this just kind of rubs people the wrong way. Understandably. And what's not being said, I think, is that the Cambridges rightfully do not have the confidence that they'll always be seen in a good light. They see that the Sussexes' popularity will not go down and that we love young Archie. You feel me? Like, the love for the Sussex family is like 10 times what it was for just the couple. Like, for just Harry and Meghan, add Archie to the mix and it grows exponentially. Am I right? 
And listen, while it's not a popularity contest, if they're seen as being harsh to Harry and Meghan, and if it's proven, and that's the key word, if it's proven that they have at any point tried to diminish them in order to make themselves more popular, in order to work with the media in making them more popular, it won't look good for them in the long run. Um, I think Harry and Meghan know that they have a strong support system uh, in the public and Sussex Squad, you feel me, already has our opinions on the possible media smear campaign against a pregnant woman, right? One that was possibly put into effect to distract the public from whispers of alleged infidelity in a certain household, all while they just sat back and like, watch, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But it should be evident, not only did the smear campaign not work, no smear campaign will work at any point for the following reasons. One, we are past the days where the media, regardless of the circumstance, can control and create one person's story and just close the book on it. It doesn't work that way anymore. She's done so much to build who she is and the receipts are just there. They can't be burned. You know what I'm saying? Like the British tabloids can't erase everything that Megan has built for herself. Secondly, there's a difference in like 2019 and 30 years ago. You know, like I said, the internet keeps receipts and it only takes like 20 seconds to go fact check something. So, and, or to uncover a trail of lies and questionable connections as well as questionable aims, sis. Thirdly, we know that for all intents and purposes, Megan is basically the first black woman in the royal family. And we know the media loves being racist. And I'm going to come back to that. But very little of what they say about her can be trusted. And I'm not sitting here saying that Megan can't be criticized. I'm not saying Harry can't be criticized, you know. But when so much of the criticism is unfounded and it's coming back to back to back to back, it makes you wonder, well, what are you really, where is this coming from? <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially when it's passive aggressive, right? So Megan being a black woman, that kind of already puts a target on her back. And then when you just aim for it over and over, you kind of show us that you're not really, you don't have anything. You're just being racist. But anyway, I I just think it's just a little bit unfortunate Um that Megan didn't get the protection while she was pregnant, that she deserves that Kate got. You know what I mean? That uh, I'm sure other royal women who were pregnant got. I mean, to be honest, and this, again, this is not shade, but Megan and um, and Kate are the only ones who are actually written about in terms of women being in the royal family that people, like the tabloid journalism, just, um, you know, salivates at the mouth over the other women are basically like out of the spotlight and living lives you know but um we haven't seen anybody in the royal family be harassed the way megan is being harassed and she deserved protection but there's a silver lining in that if she rises above it which she has and i say she because they've concentrated all of the vitriol on megan just about 
if she rises above that and continues to make the exact impact that she wants to make, whether she makes others look bad or not, by her work ethic, whether she's making people who are not working look bad or not, um, Megan is virtually unstoppable. You know, she shows me no signs that she's not going to rise above it. Um, that might make them punch a little bit harder. You know, no one deserves to be a punching bag, but that might make them think, oh, well, she's invincible. So yeah, she's fair game. She's not fair game, but she's going to rise above it anyway. Um, but we as her supporters and her friends, I'm sure, whether they are famous or not, are loyal as fuck and have shown that we as a support foundation for them are pretty much unmovable. So at some point, like I think Megan has found confidence in that, whether she speaks on it directly or not. If you notice the little thing, she always finds ways to give a nod to the people that she knows are supporting her, whether it's on Instagram, whether it was after the photo call at the end of the photo call, when she said, thanks for the kind words and support. She saw us. <laughs> she saw people, you know, famous or not, she saw people supporting her through all of the noise. So she has to find confidence in that. At least I hope Harry and Meghan do. Uh, Princess Diana called royal life a gilded cage. And I call it the gilded ghetto. Okay. Particularly KP for obvious reasons. Well, they moved out of the ghetto. Their team is airtight. <laughs> okay. And Megan is going to continue to prosper. Try as they might. But Megan put the Miss Sealy spell on all of her haters, royal haters or not. Everything you've done to me. Already done to you. And they're going to continue to be mad about it. So, yeah, Cambridges, I mean, they saw Archie. I think that's cool. I think they they should just continue to play nice, you know, um, and just be family. Like, all jokes aside, really, that's your brother. That's your blood nephew. One of my followers said, asked me, well, what do you think about the fact that when Will and Kate were interviewed about baby Archie, the day after he was born, Will said, that's my, um, this is my second time being an uncle. What do you think about the fact that that's actually his first time being an uncle? Uh, I think he was referring to the fact that Pippa had a baby and that was his first chance to um, be an uncle legally, I guess. But um, I, I kind of said, well, wait a minute, but you only have one brother and this is Harry's first baby. And then I remember, oh, Pippa. Um, yeah. So this is your first blood nephew. And I think he should be recognized as such i am not necessarily formally recognized but it's just weird that it took a week to see your nephew but that's cool just be family just be family you don't need to publicize the fact that you just met your nephew or that you're gonna meet your nephew um and act like family when the cameras aren't rolling hopefully next time you know the visit won't be publicized um it would be different if the news reports were, a source has told us that the Cambridges visited, you know, baby Archie yesterday or last week. They met him last week in past tense. You know what I mean? It's like you're basically 
putting the news on a billboard. Oh, yo, we finna go see the Sussexes. We finna go see our nephew. Put that on the evening news. That's weird. Stop being weird, you guys. But I do love that Archie finally told them that it was okay <laughs> for them to grace his presence. You know what I mean? The children can't come. They too damn loud. But yeah, y'all can come in. And I wonder what that whole visit was like. Like for real, for real. You know how it's like, you never know what the true dynamics are. And then when you're at your house and somebody comes in, you know, you got to be fake nice. <laughs> if you, whether you like them or not, you know, um, you know, your mama taught you better than to be rude to company type deal, you know. Oh, hey, guys, come on in. Yeah, y'all can sit over there. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Y'all want something to drink? Y'all good with water? Oh, okay. Cool. Oh, yeah. The weather has been nice. It's been really nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sure it went way better than that. But, uh, man, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. But, you know, I'm glad everybody met. And uh, I think it's great that Archie will have his little cousins to grow up with, you know, that won't be too far away. But uh, I'm sure Harry's trying to get him some brothers and sisters sooner rather than later, too. So <laughs> it's not like Archie's going to be an only child around here. Speaking of Harry, let's talk about what he done had going on. You feel me? Like, he had the most adorable engagement in Oxford. Like, he is so good with kids. He's good with people, but... Kids is truly where Harry shines and always has, to be perfectly honest. Harry visited Oxford Children's Hospital and he met with children and he, then he went to the teens ward, which is specifically tailored to meet the needs of young adults. And there he met with a 13-year-old named Michaela and Michaela won the Wellchild Award in 2016, and she first met Harry when she, you know, the day that she won the award. And way back then, you know, he promised her that he would come back and see her. And guess what? I love a Duke who makes promises and keeps them because he saw her again when he was there in Oxford. And, um, you know, it's like those are one of the things that people who are as famous as him and meet as many people as him don't necessarily remember. He'll probably remember that, but um, you meet a lot of people. So, you know, it's forgivable if you forget, but the people who are impacted by that, they, they remember that for a lifetime. Um, And I think Harry provides and Megan so many of those moments. And we love people who, who have the privilege, but they use it to show everyone that humanity is the thing that we all have. Like, we all play a part in that. So, kudos to Harry. Prince Harry also visited Oxrad Disability Sports and Leisure Center, where he met people benefiting from the center's facilities, such as the rebound therapy and physiotherapy programs, before unveiling a plaque of his visit, or to commemorate um, the visit. That's special to him, because, uh, as I learned 
Princess Diana actually opened the center back in 1986, um, which is pretty awesome. So he's definitely standing in his mother's legacy. Uh, I'm sure that visit was very special for him as well. And surely Princess Diana is very much proud of him. You know, when she began doing her philanthropy, she was one of the first royals to dive head in with using your platform to shine a light on people that the royals just kind of didn't really visit. Not for real. You know, Princess Diana, she went to the AIDS center that, um, the HIV, what the HIV positive patients were or the AIDS ward, I think it was. Um, she went to homeless shelters. She took her children to homeless shelters. She, uh, you know, the landmine victims, she met with people with all kinds of disabilities and physical and um, health challenges. And you can see that with Harry's work, he's really continuing in her legacy. So kudos to him. Everybody comes into this life as a fully formed human being. I don't care if you ain't got, but you know, one leg. You you know what I'm saying? Or I don't care if, you know, your family has a history of Parkinson's disease or whatever. You're fully formed and you're going to be fully formed until the day you die. You know what I mean? And so I like that Harry doesn't put distance between himself and his platform and that idea. Megan either. That's why they work. And probably one of the most adorable portions of his trip was when all of the little children, you know, the school children, they gave him all the cards and the posters that they made for him and for Archie. And all that was just it was just super cute. Um, I think one of the little kids wrote, don't forget to sing him songs at bedtime and make sure you give him his milk. <laughs> Oh, my God, kids really do say the darndest things. But um, Harry made sure to tell them that uh, he's going to he's going to be reading all of all of the cards at 4 a.m. when he's up with the baby. So um, I really love that. That that visit was really uh, super humanizing. Not that he needs it. And I love that Archie is up at 4 (laughs) a.m. It's like Harry has it down to a science at this point. Like he's going to be up at 4 a.m. And that's what babies do. They get you on a clock, on their clock, of course. But Archie's like, uh, I'm up, y'all. Y'all sleep. I'm a newborn. Yeah, I need to eat. (laughs) I ain't got no umbilical cord no more. Hurry up, daddy. Daddy. Dad. Harry. You just looked at me, so how you going to play like you sleep? Yeah, so my mama left my milk in the fridge for you to warm up, and please come get me. But we're going to have to be quiet because my mama says she need her rest. Hurry up, hurry up. I'm hungry and I'm wet. Ooh, can you get me the one with the elephant bottle? Also, will you sing me a song in the key of D major? Thanks, Dad. <laughs> that's how that goes. <laughs> uh, and that's when Harry's going to pull out the letters and entertain baby Archie until he's ready to slip back into slumber. But for real, it sounds like Harry's doing like double daddy duty, you know. Um, 
People can't seem to make up their minds, though, whether or not they want Harry to be on paternity leave, you know. Um, But personally, I'd love it if he, like, worked a little, took a week or two off, and then worked a little bit more and on and off like that. But that's his baby. I trust his judgment. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it ain't like they don't got nannies. It ain't like they don't have staff. So, you know, Grandma D might even still be there, you know. But, um... Harry and Meghan know that they are people in the world who have privilege. And again, they know there are people in the world who don't have the privilege of like sitting at home uninterrupted for three months or six months, you know, because Meghan says she's only taken three out of the six months. Um, And I'm not saying that you shouldn't take maternity and paternity leave if you can, you know, but um, there are millions, probably billions of people who simply can't afford to take any kind of parent leave. So um, good for Harry. Good for Harry for really just like, you know, keeping that ball rolling. Um, the Sussexes have all the privilege, <laughs> you know, just by being royal. Like that's a level above celebrity. And um, they got all the time in the world to go on vacation whenever they choose. But Harry and Meghan like to work. They don't sit around at home all day just because they can. And you want to know why they don't do that? Because they can't do that. It is not in their genetic makeup. Not in my opinion. When I look at them, I see two people who live life with a sense of urgency. You know what I mean? Like, again, Meghan has already said she's only taken the three months and, um, Even then, she's working here and there behind the scenes. You know she is, you know, and Harry is holding it down, going to the Netherlands, going to Oxford. So I don't know. I love what he said when someone asked him in Oxford that why is he in Oxford instead of being with his new son? And he said, well, he sleeps all the time. He won't even know I'm gone. And to me, that just increases my respect for him, actually. Um And I'm not just saying that because I love Harry. Kids do what their parents do, though. Not as they say, but as they do. And so Archie and his siblings will grow up in a home where they see their parents giving their all. Like they see their parents actually hitting the pavement and working. Neither Megan nor Harry strike me as the do nothing all day types, you know. Um, Why sit and watch Archie sleep? if he can take a day trip to Oxford and continue in his mother's legacy. You know what I mean? Um, And when Archie's sleeping, why shouldn't Megan make a phone call or record a video for CanFed or what have you, you know? I like that that's the type of people that they are. And besides, Oxford is only like 50 miles from, um, from London even. I don't know about Windsor, but it's a, it's a trip you make in a day. (laughs) so like get out there Harry good on you and shout out to doers everywhere you know you inspire us all to be better and to see the possibilities in ourselves you show us that grit is a good thing and seeing things through is a quality to be admired and not criticized see the Sussexes have character And in exhibiting that character, they remind all their critics of their own shortcomings. You feel me? So speaking of media shortcomings, (laughs) you like that segue? They're really pressed, huh? 
depressed. Like for literal years, you've beat up on Megan. Years now, since 2016 and we are in 2019. You have beat up on Megan. And now you expect them to give you every little detail and document about their son's birth just because you asked? Because that's the way things went pre-Megan. You expect to be able to harass her, you know, and her medical team and get details about the birth after you basically maligned her as a demanding, angry black woman. Woo. Girl, you tried it. You should be grateful that they released photos of Archie's feet. So sit down and eat your food. Not only did they move from leaky, creaky, snitch-ass, clout-chasing KP, they hired the baddest bitch in the land to be the captain of their ship. Shout out to Sarah Latham for playing the British media and beating them at their own game. How about that? Now, I don't know if you saw the official Q&A that was released some time ago. I hadn't had a chance to talk about it. It's kind of old news at this point. But... Um, it was about the birth announcement and the announcement, uh, the birth and the announcement timeline. But sis really told them in so many words, fuck you. We made no promises to you. Now you can go straight to hell. She a bad bitch. Yeah, Sarah Latham a bad bitch. Like, you know, she's the person behind the scenes that you don't see very often. You don't hear from very often, but you feel her presence and the shift that we have seen with the Sussexes since they left Kensington Palace. She's everywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that is a great quality. And I'm sure that is the quality that caused them to pick her. You know, sis got a track record. She know what she's doing. And it's a wrap for the media. To be perfectly honest, like it's a wrap for them and they know it. That's why they're having a meltdown. And Rachel Megan Shantae Mountbatten Windsor <laughs> is still a black woman out here living their wildest Caucasian dreams. And they're mad about it. They're really just mad about it. Now, this is the same reason that Beyonce came out with like boycott Beyonce t-shirts after she made formation because all the Beckys got mad. You know, SNL even did a, a really funny skit on it where they were like, oh, Beyonce's black. You know what I mean? And so I was like, okay, I'll get petty with you too. Don't you ever think for a second that a bad bitch won't get petty with you. Oh, y'all want to see my baby? Well, here go his feet and my hands. <laughs> and she still got more than 2 million likes. Wow, her power. Megan, keep doing what you're doing. These fools are going to be mad anyway. <laughs> They're going to be mad anyway. So you may as well just stun on them just because you can. You know, uh, Megan is a half black woman. But like I said at the top of the episode, for all intents and purposes, she is a black woman. Okay, she was never supposed to sit in the seat that she's in. The seat that in the minds of bigots was reserved for the purest, the whitest, the purest whites that exist in all the land. And boy, some of you whites 
are really incensed. Some of y'all, now some of y'all stand just as hard as I do, if not harder. But some, like, but I'm talking particularly the ones who sit at news desks and write articles and, you know, some even make podcasts. You feel me? Um, They really press and you hear it come out in ways. And again, I always say, listen for the things that are not said. Listen to what bitches be saying, but listen to what they not saying underneath it all. But Megan is black and let's discuss. Megan's mom is black, (laughs) as I'm sure you all know. But at a glance, Megan herself looks racially ambiguous. But if you look at her for more than just a few seconds, you can see very clearly that she is black. Now, it's like if you were to turn off a light in a room and the room were to suddenly become dark. But then after your eyes adjust, you see that the room is the same room you were in before the light went out and you start to pick up those details and then you can move around the room as if the light never went out and you see the room for what it is. So Megan being highly visible gets looked at a lot and every little detail reminds particularly the bigots, right? Even the people who don't know that they're bigots because I'm talking to you too. Uh, reminds them that she is not white and it's driving them nuts. I am not denying Megan's white side. I'm not denying her white genetics. I'm not denying the fact that she has a white father and a crazy ass white family. (laughs) And did I lie? Okay. I'm not denying that. I'm not saying genetically she's not white and black, but I'm saying socially, I'm saying... In actuality, in how she's treated, she's a black woman. And then you look at the British family. Yeah, she's the first of her kind. So she's black. Okay? Now, I don't know if y'all remember, but at first when they got engaged, lots of white folks in the media and uh, on the socials were saying, well, look at her. She's practically white. And I said, okay. All right. Well, this is about to be fun. Because me as an American, I could already see how this shit was about to play out. Then, (laughs) then Megan had that black ass wedding in front of the queen. (laughs) And that was the day that they knew that Megan was black. Okay. And I'm not even saying Megan sees herself as a quote unquote black woman. I believe she did a blog post on the TIG some years ago saying she's biracial or she did an article in a a magazine or something. She's biracial. She recognizes both sides of her her heritage and all of that. Well, she wasn't the Duchess of Sussex then. So if you know anything about Megan, everything about her is deliberate. That wedding was black as fuck. So then it was like the media said, oh, okay. Yeah, you want to be black? I'll show you how black you are. And then she became fair game. But you see, at this point, as we come up on the one year anniversary of their wedding, we see how that backfired against the media. Because to to me, it's like Megan is just slightly untouchable by the media at this point. Um, She's only gotten more popular because those media tricks are outdated. Because people can see 
what they're trying to do. And it just doesn't work. And of course, that makes them even more mad. Then throw Sarah Latham in the mix and the fact that they know Harry doesn't give a fuck about their feelings. We are witnessing a meltdown in the British media, particularly the section that is concerned with royal life. So royal reporters, I guess. Um, And to be real with you, I believe a lot of these Beckys really want to be Megan. Okay, I'm talking about the journalists who have a reputation of being real nasty toward Megan, but framing it in, oh, well, you know, I'm just being a professional, you know, you can't get mad at the facts because, you know, her fans are bots, you know, everything I say is, no, you're passive aggressive, and we see where it was coming from. They write articles and call themselves journalists, but Megan is literally out here living their dream and the dream that they've dreamed up for themselves and their girlfriends this black woman, this black American woman is out here sitting in the seat that they don't think she deserves. Mind you, Megan never dreamed this life for herself. She never dreamed this up for herself because I'm sure as most of y'all remember, Megan's life was lit before she met Harry. Harry couldn't wait to get to Toronto You know what I'm saying? I wasn't even really paying that close attention. Then I knew they were dating. But girl, I don't care until y'all get engaged. Not for real. Not for real. You know, because y'all are dating. Good for y'all. But I did know Harry was in Toronto a lot because at that time I was living in New York. You know, and that New York ain't far. I was living in Brooklyn. It ain't very far from Canada in terms of, um, you know, America being a big ass country and being in the Northeast. That's not very far at all. You know, uh, it's a short plane ride. So I knew Harry was all up in Toronto. (laughs) I was like, oh, that's cool. Harry got him a little boo and thanks. But anyway, I know that England and a lot of places in Europe see biracial folks as biracial only. Right. But over here in America, they're basically black. And that's why I refer to Megan as a black woman. Okay, it has nothing to do with denying her white side, but it has everything to do with the fact that people who control the narrative only see the black side of her. Therefore, they treat her as a bigot would treat a black person. And they write about her as a bigot would write about a black person. It doesn't matter that she's in England. It doesn't matter that she's in the royal family. It doesn't matter that she's the most popular person in the royal family for all intents and purposes. Megan Ebony Mountbatten-Windsor is a black woman. (laughs) And we see it that way over here for a specific reason. Now, that is slowly shifting to the European way of viewing half black, half white people. But the vast majority of mixed folks over here that consider themselves American, the vast majority, not all, certainly not all, But um, they are seen as black and they see themselves as black. Doesn't matter how light skinned they are. Doesn't matter how wavy or straight their hair is. You're black. But, you know, some people are white passing. But you know what? Here's the thing. And I'm not saying any of this. This part definitely doesn't apply to Megan. Um, We're also living in a time, too, where it's like um, people who are half white, half black. It's sort of cool to be black now, you know, Culturally, it carries it like it it has capital or cachet. You know what I'm saying? Um, And so, like, I remember people like Halsey were saying, 
oh, you know, I'm 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 white passing, but I'm half black. But when you started your career, you didn't want nobody to know you was black. You know what I'm saying? Even Zoe Kravitz, <laughs> Zoe Kravitz, at a point in time when she was first kind of starting to pop off, she was like, you know, well, both of my parents are biracial, Lisa Bonet and Lenny Kravitz. Both of my parents are biracial. And so, I, you know, I try not to categorize myself as just black. But then all of a sudden she was like, bitch, I ain't getting no parts. I'm black. Y'all, y'all ain't giving me no parts because I'm black shit. I want to play a role that a white woman can play. I'm black. Black lives matter. <laughs> yeah, she, she's black. You know what I'm saying? She's half black, half white technically. But um, she stood up at a certain point. This was after the whole Black Lives Matter movement started and was like power to the people. You know, so that's a little bit weird to me. But um, generally... Uh, most people, if you have any pigmentation, especially if your ancestors are black, um, you kind of consider yourselves black depending on how dark you are because that's how the world will treat you. Um, and why is that? History lesson, and it'll be brief. Um, because there is a landmark case in the United States Supreme Court that upheld the constitutionality of racial segregation laws for public facilities, like the separate but equal, whites only, coloreds only. That's probably such a foreign idea to you if you don't live in America. But that's just recent history for us. That's less than 100 years ago that, um, you know, segregation in public facilities and schools and things like that were outlawed less than 100 years ago. You know, Martin Luther King time, it was still whites only, coloreds only. Okay, so there was a landmark case back in the 1800s that upheld the separate but equal laws that started all of that. Okay, well, basically there was a man, his name was Homer Plessy. He was a mixed race man, technically. He was seven eighths white and one eighth black. And he bought a first class train ticket uh, and he boarded the train and he sat in the whites only car out of New Orleans, Louisiana. But after he took his seat, he was asked to vacate it and to sit in the blacks only car. Plessy refused and he was immediately arrested. Homer Plessy sued and after some legal battles, it eventually made its way to the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court. And that's where the decision was upheld. The significance of that is that this was the case that America as a nation points to when it comes to how we look at the construct of race. And so historically, America has said that if you are a person with just one drop, they call that the one drop rule. If you just Google the one drop rule, America, put that phrase in the Google search. You're going to have it all right there. Okay. But if you're a person with just one drop of black blood, you are therefore black. It sounds absurd because it is absurd. But that doesn't stop America. And as we see the world from treating persons with black blood as fully black, we all deserve to be treated equally. But we know that that's not the world we live in, not even in 2019. That's why Barack Obama, even though he was raised by a white woman, he came from a white woman and her white parents from Kansas. OK, they raised him. That's why he very proudly said 
I am a black man. I am the first black president of the United States because in America, he knew that he would be treated as such. So um, the American media called him African, even though he was American. They called him a Kenyan because his father was Kenyan. Um, they also called him a Muslim. There's nothing wrong with being a Muslim, but that's a white bigoted way, especially American, to malign entire groups of people who don't fit that, you know, Judeo-Christian, white, whatever. So they said he was angry and that he hated America. So <laughs> some of the same themes you kind of, you know, maybe not specifically, but uh, they malign Megan in certain certain ways. But like, ironically, the American media is not doing that to Megan, though. You know, the American media is actually treating her fairly for the most part. It's the British media and the folks who are supposed to be so ahead of the curve on race that called her an angry black woman. They called her a diva. You know what I mean? They said that she's straight out of Compton. You know, it was the British media. It's the British media trying to dictate what this woman does with her body. And we know white people have a history of trying to control black bodies and remove the agency from those black persons of their own bodies. Nobody did this shit to Kate. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. At me on Twitter and correct me if I'm wrong, at Sussex Squad. Ain't nobody do this to Kate. But it's all too easy to do it to Megan. So, you know, they're basically implying that she doesn't deserve to live behind castle walls. And on social media, most of her haters are middle-aged American, go figure, uh, female Trump supporters who see her as, again, a black woman. And they despise her for ascending their idea of what they think she deserves and where they think she belongs. That's why I say she is living out their Caucasian dreams. The dreams that the system told them were theirs and theirs only. And she's doing it beautifully, right? Her child's feet is getting more attention than they will ever get in their lifetimes. Me too, but I'm not the one hating. And then when it comes to Archie, people are expecting this eight-day-old baby. Is he eight days, nine days at this point? Um, to heal the world, make it a better place. At only eight days, he has to heal the, the rift between, you know, blacks and whites in England. He has to heal the rift between his mother and her crazy family. And now he has to heal the supposed rift between Prince Harry and Prince William. Now, I'm not saying that it is a concerted effort because I don't know. But I've never seen this kind of, of obligation, um, this kind of burden placed on any other royal child. You know, and Prince William's kids are only you're like five and under. But I've never seen it. But, you know, I know Archie is the first of his kind, especially in that family. But um, he's a fucking child. You feel me? You know, so the fact that he is just a quarter black somehow makes it okay for a lot of people in the media. It shouldn't make it okay at all. I don't care what, what his parents' heritage is. 
But um, they're already like lumping these obligations on him, uh, I guess, as a way to send a signal to his parents that they ought to do what they ought to try to make their kid about when he's his own person. You know, we've already seen him liken to a chimpanzee. But now he's supposed to heal the world, make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. It's weird. And no wonder Harry and Meghan don't want him to have any titles. I wouldn't either. It's kind of like they knew the shit was coming. But um, yeah, you know what? Meghan, Harry, Archie, keep living the dream because certain people were never going to be happy for you anyway. And that's why I'm loving every minute of it. Shine, queen, shine. That's pretty much all I've got for today. Um, But I do have a quick couple of announcements. Don't forget, we are still heading toward the anniversary. I can't believe it's one year marking the marriage of our Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Yes, queen. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm so like, I'm so um, excited for them. Like it's been a whirlwind year and it's already already year one in the books almost. So um, the Sussex Squad podcast, Tina and Michelle, uh, have created a great initiative for those who want to participate. You might have seen it on Twitter, but um, it's where their podcasts, this podcast, as well as the My Duke and I podcast, we will air all of your voicemail messages on our podcast on Sunday. That's May 19th. 2019, one year since they got married. Um, And so if you would like to send a short voice uh, recording, voicemail, keep it under two minutes. If you want to do that, DM me or DM one of them on Twitter. And um, if you haven't done that already, of course, and we will send you the link to leave your voice message of love and support for them. You can find more info by typing in hashtag Sussex Squad Positivity on Twitter, or you can just go to um, the Sussex Podcast at Sussex Podcast on Twitter and you can see them posting about it. Um, I think it'll be beautiful and um, I can't wait to hear how it all comes together. Again, reach out to one of the three podcasts and we'll get you the link and determine um, first and foremost that you're not a troll. (laughs) And then we'll send you the link Uh, just because, you know, you never know what kind of interlopers are out there trying to ruin a good thing. Did y'all see what I did there? Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, we just want to make sure that they get love and support on their big day. And uh, that they know we love them. I'm sure they know it. But, you know, it doesn't hurt to tell them. And uh, I think it would be nice if they can hear it. So thank you, Tina. Thank you, Michelle, Denise, and Anita. I can't wait to see how this turns out. Another thing, um, this Friday, so by the time you hear this, it would be tomorrow. uh, Gail King is doing a documentary. Yes, Queen, yes. Coming out this Friday on the one year, uh, pretty much the year that they've had. Um... Megan and Harry. I can't wait for that. It'll be on CBS. Gail is also a part of the Sussex set. Really, if you believe it or not, she kind of is. You know, she's one of those voices that have been making sure that the narrative around Megan and Harry is based on truth and not lies. Uh, she basically is the face of CBS after that bizarre ass R. Kelly interview. So uh, shout out to her. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She She's always just been Oprah's best friend to a certain group of people or to some people that don't know um, her track record. But Gail has really been out here doing it for decades. So shout out to Gail King. I can't wait to watch that. Um, yeah, and I think Gail actually also went to Megan's baby shower. Um, you know, CBS headquarters is literally like 
right down the street <laughs> from where they were. It's in Midtown. I worked in Midtown for like four or five years. Midtown in Manhattan is down the street from fucking everywhere because it's right in the middle of Manhattan. So, um, yeah, she was there. And um, I can't wait to see how that uh, documentary turned out. And, of course, don't forget to subscribe to the Sussex Set Podcast. Hey, we lit. Anywhere you get your podcasts. And um, consider leaving a review on iTunes if you have the time, please. Uh, that I think that would help Sussex supporters find the podcast. You know, Megan's fans, Harry's fans are growing really by the day. And I just think it's our responsibility to make sure that they get the proper narrative. Uh, and not rely on the current media narrative that is deliberately misinforming the public about them so um hit me up on itunes please leave a review that would mean the world to me you can also find me on youtube and make sure you say hello over there and on ig the podcast can be found at sussex set and i am sussex squad on twitter speaking of the socials i just want to give a special shout out to miss deborah frazier for your always on point analyses uh, I really look forward to reading your comments. Um, you know, you take your time to write them and uh, I read every word because I really do appreciate your thoughtful input. Um, so thank you as well as Nicole. I see you mostly on Instagram, but um, I just want to thank you for your, you know, heartfelt input and your engagement and uh, your positivity. So if you have made it this far, peeps, I thank you all so much for listening. And I love you guys, man. Like, the support for the podcast has been really great. It's been touching. And even if you only just listen for five fucking minutes, you know, that's five minutes that you did not have to give. So um, you better know that each second of your time is appreciated. You feel me? And so until next time, keep shining your light because you never know who needs to see their way out of darkness. Peace. I'm a bad bitch. You can't kill me. The day you plan for me is the one you're gonna rot in.